This is Radio Sustain, a journal of fair trade, resilient rural communities, safe food, and a healthy environment. Brought to you by IATP, the Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy. This edition of Radio Sustain is for Monday, January 14th, 2008. I'm Tyson Acker at IATP in Minneapolis. Today on the program, Steve Supan meets with Mexican farm groups, Dennis Olson returns from an international meeting on biofuels, and John Foster talks about SPP, the Security and Prosperity Partnership, or NAFTA+. The Security and Prosperity Partnership, or SPP, has been called NAFTA on steroids. This agreement between the U.S., Canada, and Mexico aims to expand NAFTA in several areas, including national security, immigration, and energy. One of the researchers following the SPP is John Foster from the North-South Institute in Ottawa, Canada. We sat down with John to learn more. Uh, NAFTA was a treaty. Uh, It was debated in the legislatures of the three countries. This is not a treaty, but it builds on NAFTA. Uh, It basically means that civil servants in Canada, the U.S., and Mexico who might be responsible for, for instance, pesticide regulation, get together and agree on a common standard. This is basically to please industry that would like to simplify things, but it, from the point of view of the citizen, may mean that public health is at risk because uh, the standards accepted may be the lowest of uh, those in existence in the three countries. So this seems to be kind of sliding under the radar. Who, who is really pushing for the Security and Prosperity Partnership? Uh, I think from our point of view in Canada, the key push came from uh, the big business sector of the economy, from the transnationals who are organized in the Canadian Council of Chief Executives. They came up a couple of years ago with something called the uh, Security and Prosperity Initiative, and within a few weeks, the three uh, political chief executives called it the Security and Prosperity Partnership. So they have been very keen on this. The basic assumption is that the U.S. is concerned about security. Business in Canada, for instance, is very concerned with an open border. Give the U.S. what it wants on security, which may have to do with controls on people and the movement of people and information about people. And the U.S. will ease up on controls about trucks and imports. What are some of the things that civil society is doing uh, in response to the Security and Prosperity Partnership? Uh, the first thing that we uh, achieved in Canada was a form of parliamentary review. One of our members of uh, Parliament from the New Democratic Party, one of the opposition parties, succeeded in getting the Parliamentary Committee on International Trade to hold public hearings on the Security and Prosperity Partnership. And this has been extremely important, both in getting government officials to say what they are doing, giving business a chance to say why they want something, and giving the opposition a chance to raise essential issues and to question basically the NAFTA, NAFTA Plus, and SPP agendas. I think you'll see a significant public uh, uh, response in terms of protest and probably some uh, symbolic action, cultural action, whatever, both on the uh, 
issue of economic integration and on opposition to the military and security agenda. John Foster is principal researcher for the North-South Institute, a Canadian-based research institute focused on international development. Visit their website at nsi-ins.ca. January 1, 2008, the final provisions of the North American Free Trade Agreement went into effect. Those provisions include the removal of tariffs for a number of key Mexican food crops, including corn and beans. In the U.S., the January 1st deadline hasn't received much attention, but in Mexico, it is a big deal. IETP's Steve Supan just returned from Mexico City, where he attended a meeting with Mexican farm groups. We sat down with Steve to find out more about what this final round of tariff reductions means for Mexico. The foods in what Mexico uh, defines as its basic basket of, of uh, nutritional necessities has shot up about 750 percent in price uh, since 1994. And about 40 percent of all Mexican rural people are malnourished, according to the Mexican government, and about 60 percent of all indigenous people, and Mexico has a very high uh, percentage of, of indigenous farmers. So you have a situation in which you have a hungry people who are not getting any support for agriculture. Then when you have these you know, global price increases for basic grains, the prices shoot up drastically and people eat less. Some people are fasting down there, uh, as well as a, a protest is planned for uh, the coming of the new year. Can you tell us a little bit of behind what's behind those two actions? The, um, the planners of, of the National Campaign for Food Sovereignty decided to hold this fast at a statue and plaza commemorating the independence of Mexico. And so they called it fasting, fasting for independence. The fast was symbolic. It was just five days long. During the first day, they attempted to deliver a letter to the U.S. Embassy calling for the U.S. government to take the initiative to renegotiate the agricultural chapter of NAFTA. Uh, they were turned away by the police. It would, there were some you know, fairly spectacular photos. The next day, they had Mexican movie stars, artists, intellectuals come out and give speeches in favor of food sovereignty, sing songs. That, too, is captured by the national press, maybe even a bit of international press. And uh, it just so happened that the day before uh, the press conference, the United Nations uh, Commission on Latin America had uh, issued its annual report on the health, the economic health of Latin American economies. And, and Mexico's economic growth was among the lowest in Latin America. It was down there with Haiti and with Nicaragua, which are the two least developed countries in Latin America. Well, now uh, there is talk about a security uh, and prosperity partnership that would essentially uh, expand NAFTA to other areas and still involve the same three countries. Did you hear about that uh, so-called SPP in Mexico, and what was the reaction? New laws that are kind of an extension of the U.S. Patriot Act are, um, are believed to be part of a SPP-like negotiation with the United States, and uh, among the features of this of this new law, is preventative detention for up to uh, 80 days. So you have removal of, of habeas corpus, 
and also uh, Mexican police will be allowed to search homes and, and individuals without any, uh, any court warrant to do so. So in, in Mexico, they talk about the militarization of the, of the country and, and they compare the militarization of the U.S.-Mexican border with Plan Colombia, which is the kind of the militarization of the Colombian countryside. <laughs> Something which is defined here as a harmonizing regulatory project is seen there as a very, very dangerous development for Mexican democracy and society. Still can't regret my Dr. Steve Supan is senior policy analyst at IATP. To learn more about the final round of tariff reductions and about NAFTA in general, visit tradeobservatory.org. The rapid development of the global biofuels sector has created a contentious debate. Is it causing higher food prices? Will it help mitigate climate change? Will it benefit farmers or big corporations? In December, IATP co-hosted a meeting in Berlin with civil society groups from the US, the European Union, and several developing countries to try to find some common ground. IATP's Dennis Olson just returned from the Berlin meeting, and we sat down with him to learn more. What the biofuels question has unveiled is sort of a fundamental failure of our current agro-industrial model that's based on uh, overproduction and cheap feed for industrial animal factories and industrial meat production and that a lot of the current debate about how bad biofuels is and that it's not unsustainable was already there. We've already we already had that unsustainability in 800,000 head hog factories and our overproduction of cheap corn and soybeans that subsidizes that production. And so I think we moved much closer together saying that this is not, even though the people who are concerned about the immediate rising impacts of biofuels, I think there was a a movement together of even those who are pro-biofuels, like from the United States, some of the farmers from the United States who see it as more of a positive thing, of acknowledgement that it's more the agricultural system, the industrial system that is the problem. And there is some agreement then that we shouldn't just plunge ahead with this model, for example, and import monocultural industrial production of Brazilian ethanol or or Malaysian palm oil, and that if uh, a more appropriate use of, of, of biofuels and bioenergy would be maybe to start on the farm first and making sure you know that the farmers are growing enough biodiesel to run their own tractors and then not using as much fossil fuels and, and growing more sustainable crop rotations on the on the farm and and in keeping that wealth in the communities and and also making it more sustainable and figuring out how biofuels might help us move in that direction to actually break up this monoculture industrial system rather than become just another driver of expanding that could that could in fact cause even more damage. So what are the next steps here? Will there be uh, further conversation at other places and regions? Or? The, the, the organizers of the conference had a, a follow-up meeting and one of the ideas would be to have a follow-up meeting in France and sort of taking this idea of this industrial agricultural model and maybe putting it in to the context of climate change 
and whether or not biofuels is a good or bad thing for climate change or if it's a bad thing, how could we make it better or make it actually live up to its promise of being a part of the solution to climate change. Another point of entry is a discussion um, uh, looking towards the summer of 2008 where there will be a UN conference on biofuels in Brazil and uh, there's some interest of a lot of the groups who were at our conference who are connected to the civil society movements both in Brazil and the rest of Latin America and those of us from North America of really focusing on that because President Bush and President Lula will be there um, and one of their top priorities is just to get international standards, quality standards for biofuels because you can't trade without the quality standards and those, those types of standards have nothing to do with sustainability standards. And so we wanna, before they move ahead and just plow ahead blindly with this industrial model and expanding this model, we wanna raise some of the questions that we examined in our meeting and, and raise it in a public manner, in demonstrations, in conferences in Central America and probably in Brazil, maybe simultaneously or, or coordinated and try to raise public awareness about what are some of the choices that, that lie before us. Dennis Olson is a senior policy analyst at IATP. To learn more about biofuels and IATP's Global Dialogue Project, visit tradeobservatory.org. Radio Sustain is a project of IATP, the Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy. Find us on the web at iatp.org. Radio Sustain is produced by Ben Lilliston. The music on the program was Tall Fiddler by Deo, Ophelia's Song by Pan, and Someone Turning by Arctic. I'm Tyson Acker in Minneapolis. Thanks for listening. Turn